Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. But uh, it's, a, it's an issue that uh, this group actually anticipated, but, uh, but uh, the crisis was not uh, uh, dealt with. And so right now, People are having so many mental issues, but uh, uh, they also made a comment in, in the article in the Post <clears throat> about the fact that uh, even the black patients are are not as stigmatized by mental health as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, therefore, blacks and Latino Hispanics are uh, acutely mm-hmm. having problems. Mm-hmm. So it's no surprise, but it's uh, something that is uh, difficult to deal with. We talked also <clears throat> uh, last time about the rationing of, of uh, insulin because the prices of the insulin for people who, t- who are diabetics is quadrupled. And they looked at the data and they indicated that the blacks were the group who were most affected by the rationing of insulin. Uh, and uh, this then, of course, is uh, particularly bad for those with type 1 diabetes because they have to have insulin. For type 2 diabetes, many of the type 2 diabetics can get by without uh, uh, insulin. Uh, so this also is a uh, relatively new crisis that uh, is afflicting us. Any of you aware of people who actually are rationing their uh, insulin? No. Hmm. For me. But anyway, this is those are two crises that really are uh, problematic in terms of very worrisome for uh, our future. It's bad enough that our schools are. Uh, experiencing some of the lowest grades uh, ever known to us, but also our mental health issues are becoming alarming. Okay, uh, John, you want to start the, the slides? Okay. There was also an article about insomnia the fact that we don't treat uh, insomnia very well. And this is something Dr. Georgia Dunstan, who has worked with us a lot uh, and uh, is one who uh, shared with us the concept of uh, soul genomics. And uh, she's a committee chair of Black Women for Positive Change. And uh, uh, as you know, they had a goal of registering 10 million more black voters. Of course, the, the issue, of course, is they've done everything they can <clears throat> to suppress black voters. And so uh, this is particularly important. Uh, talked about the f- fact that John Lewis was one of the early people. Of course, there were people who were killed because of their support for voting. John is one of the survivors. Beaten, but he wasn't killed. Uh, and so 
uh, this 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 is uh, Hussein that she's been involved with that uh, uh, hopeful for a major turnout. Uh, uh, now the question is, uh, it'll be days before we know the full results of all of this, all of the voting, but. Uh, I guess something that was encouraging is that most of the people uh, Trump fought for lost. That's a good sign. But anyway, uh, I hope everybody took the opportunity to vote uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Maryland, we have the first uh, black governor in the state's history. So. Yes. Okay, well, I think that that's a, a reminder of uh, of the things our, our, our predecessors uh, died to to get the vote, and uh, mm -hmm. so it's it's great to see that so many blacks did get out to vote. Any comments? Uh, any addition to this thoughts? What what sometimes uh, worries me is uh, why do you have to beg some black people to vote? Why? Because I um, I had to convince a lot of my <clears throat> my friends who are blacks to vote, and they refused. They said they would they don't want to vote. Why is it difficult? Well, some people think it doesn't matter whether they vote or not. That's one of the reasons, uh, and. Uh, I think that's that's probably the the excuse they give that their vote doesn't mean anything, uh, which is a tragedy. Yes. Here, blacks have died so we can have the right to vote. And then exactly. They don't vote. It's a sad commentary. I used to think the same thing, and then my father told me he said if if your vote didn't matter, they wouldn't try so hard to stop you from voting. Yeah. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's why they try to kill us, to keep us from voting. But, uh, yeah. but it's just like the uh, vaccination. Still have uh, people who don't want to be vaccinated. Okay. It's a, it is amazing though that uh, yeah. people are still unregistered. Yes, can't vote without being registered. So, yeah. I I have a family member that back in 1944, my mother's cousin um, started the Democratic Party in Georgia, and that's why I guess I feel so sorry about Georgia now, the way they're trying to suppress voters. They didn't try. They succeeded. Yeah, they are suppressing voting. Right. But he he uh, risked his life back in 1944 to start the Democratic Party down in uh, Columbus, Georgia, and he's he's, yeah, he's hanging in the state house and everything because of what he did. So I, you know, I'm I'm almost compelled to go. I get mad at my grandchildren sometimes when. 
they don't always vote, but I, I, I get after them, but they vote for the presidential elections, but some of the other ones, they don't. Yeah. Okay, well, it's quite another crisis that we've got to overcome, uh, but, uh, but uh, efforts like your, your relative, Mm -hmm. It's so important. I remember uh, Marion Barry used to talk about uh, how uh, people died just for trying to get people to register to vote in the South. And so uh, it's it's sad commentary that uh, some of the young people don't appreciate uh, that these people did not die in vain. Okay. Um, any other comments? Otherwise, we'll go to the next one. Uh, this is something that, uh, fortunately, uh, monkeypox uh, uh, has decreased uh, and is no longer thought to be uh, as much of a problem, although there have been deaths and there have been a number of cases. But... Uh, uh, the transmission, of course, happens before the symptoms, which is not not a, not a surprise. It's just that getting close contact. You remember we talked about the nurse who, who got monkeypox from the contact with the skin lesions, and so uh, this is something that uh, the fact still remains that ninety five percent of the patients. Uh, bisexual uh, men who have sex with men uh, but uh, that also is how HIV started so so fortunately this is on the wane and uh, we're not uh, we're not uh, having uh, a lot of cases anymore so it's Dr. Chandler, um, you know, some of these uh, diseases are caught by a virus floating around in the air. And this one, monkeypox, is more about lesions. That's correct. This is not about air spread. This is about contact. Yeah. Sores. So, so then that means that, uh, you know, the the lesions and all uh, is not, you know, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that uh, the airborne illnesses are causing them more havoc. Right, and this is not airborne, so this is less of an issue. Unless you have sex with men, in which case, or unless you have contact with the skin lesion of someone who has this disease. So, okay, you can go to the next one because fortunately this is not, this is waning rather than increasing. Well, this is an interesting article because they have all kinds of uh, medication they're now trying to use to treat severe depression, meaning depression that does not respond to the conventional treatments. And uh, 
psychedelic drugs that have uh, uh, been uh, used for some time for those people for whom the traditional treatments are not successful. And uh, uh, research is still going on into, into drugs, uh, psychedelic drugs. And since most of the psychedelic drugs are illegal, it, it becomes an issue. And so uh, research is still going on, whether it's uh, legal or not. And uh, uh, so they're st still waiting on studies to demonstrate its value. Uh, so this, while it's the studies going on, uh, uh, we don't know the answer. Uh, there are people who, however, if the treatment that they get is not successful, they, they get the psychedelic drugs anyway. But. So anyway, it, it's, it's good to know that at least, uh, at least it is still research going into it. And if it is found to be a benefit, then uh, they could change the laws. But so far, uh, they have been uh, not found to make a significant difference. But research is still continuing around the world. So, And you see here that uh, uh, early research didn't actually show a benefit. Depression, as we know, is... Uh, very, very common. Anxiety and depression are something that, as we talked about at the beginning of this program, uh, that uh, mental health issues are so common that we don't have enough mental health professionals to actually treat them. And so uh, the mental health illnesses, uh, anxiety, depression, and uh, uh, dementia become a real cause of concern. And I think the, uh, the fact that uh, depression does lead to suicidal behavior is one of the reasons why uh, we spend so much time addressing depression, especially uh, since we know that the people who are depressed, who don't take the medication, uh, are the group that often uh, commit suicide. Dr. Cal Dr. Callender, a question about the times that we're living in. Uh, and we are saying that depression is increasing. And I want to know if it's... Uh, all the different viruses that are out, is that causing depression or is it the staying home a lot and not being able to do anything? It's the, the isolation that seems to be causing the anxiety and depression. Quarantining, the isolation, yeah. That's the main cause, not the virus. It's the... It's, the, it's our treatment to prevent the virus that is causing havoc. Mm. Carol, come and get me. 
Uh, <laughs> Dr. Callender, I know when I go to my medical doctor, there's a series of questions that they ask you uh, when you um, log in, and that pertains to your mental and your physical health. Um, and um, I, at first, I was concerned as to why were they asking these types of questions, but um, is there a way of reaching out to the public? And if they can save one person, then their program has been successful. Yes, and we we'll help one person. Yeah, we've talked uh, on this program about the screening and the fact that uh, screening for anxiety uh, is recommended. And so this is one important first step uh, to, to, to do that, to screen for anxiety and screen for depression. And if you find that the person uh, identifies that they're depressed, and then to get them to go and get mental health professional treatment becomes imperative. Because as you said, uh, the end result is that somebody who has anxiety uh, and is untreated becomes depressed. Depression untreated can become suicidal. So, so there, as, as we talked about in the program recently, uh, People under 65, uh, screening for anxiety and depression uh, becomes very important. And, and the screening test that you're talking about is something that all physicians probably should use. Um, Dr. Callender, I notice the same thing when you go to the doctors. They'll ask you questions and you know the answer of what they're searching for. Does anybody ever, they'll ask you almost bluntly, are you depressed? Are you mentally ill? Um, do you feel like committing suicide? It, it, they're so obvious. Can you remember yesterday? Or, you know, because I asked you the president of the United States. But um, I guess it's not that obvious to everybody. Or why do they ask the question so obviously? Because those are the tests. Those are the questions that we feel are important in terms of identifying those people who need help. Is this a new protocol? I noticed too, yes. my doctor has done yes. that. And yes. I didn't know if it was due to age because I'm a senior or is it just a, a new protocol with um, it, patients? It's, it's a new protocol that we've discussed actually. Yeah. Because screening for anxiety and depression is an important part of your health. Sometimes people forget that you're not healthy if you aren't mentally well and physically well mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's time we address the mental health aspect of it in the same way that we address the physical aspect of it and so we're finally waking up and doing something that we sh perhaps should have done earlier but now uh, the, the, the tests are uh, uh, results are so uh, so much that it becomes clear that uh, screening for anxiety and depression, for people under 65 is 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 now ex and is, is what you're supposed to do. It wasn't that way before; it is that way now. So, it's, to me, it's a step in the right direction. Now, the the question is, what do you do when you have the screen? Because this is a screening test. That's why I asked those questions. Mm -hmm. Screening test. So if you demonstrate that you are depressed, then the next step is to get 
mental professional help. And that is uh, where the problem is because we don't have the mental health care providers to address the ever-rising number of people who have anxiety and who are depressed. So I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. Of course, what it does is uh, increase the number of people who need the mental health. And if we don't have enough providers to help that, then what are we doing about the solution to the problem? So, so, so we've got to do some of the things that Biden talked about in his uh, State of the Union address to encourage more people to go into the mental health profession and also make it so that people can get to doctors who will treat them regardless of their ability to pay. That's not the case now. I'm wondering whether I'm in the minority. Um, when the pandemic hit, I was happy to be home. I All the different <laughs> projects that I could do without interruption of having to go out. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I enjoyed the time. I, I yes, in the house, and you know, I just enjoyed being home. So you are in the minority, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I but that. you know, it is what you make of it. Yeah, life is what you make of it. <laughs> so you can make, uh, you can have lemon and make lemonade, or you can <laughs> be distressed because it's lemon. Mm -hmm. so, I, I enjoy yeah, it. so that's wonderful that you've used it. Uh, made the most of it. That's what uh, uh, everyone should try to do. Dr. Callender, it seems like this can also be a vicious cycle because you might get COVID and have to go to the hospital. Let's say you have a bad case. You can be depressed about that. And so once you get depressed about that, then, you know, other you begin to get other problems too. Yeah. Anxiety is just the beginning of it. And the, uh, the earlier you address it, the better. Yeah, Dr. Kalender. Yes. Yeah, some, people, some people like uh, living a solitude life. <clears throat> they don't like too much crowd or too many friends. Uh, in that case, therefore, will you consider isolation or will you categorize them into uh, people uh, with isolation and the eventual, uh, the eventual outcome will be depression or anxiety? People who live solitude life. People need I think the simple answer to that is that people need people. And so that uh, uh, getting away from this solitude is a better uh, answer to that question. Solitude is not desirable. Uh, people do need people. Dr. Callender, I don't so much not need people is that 
I felt like the world was going so fast sometimes. And I think the pandemic slowed it down. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm my own best friend, so I don't mind being by myself. I prefer it a lot of times and I like to selectively engage with other people, but I found that the world was going so fast that um, I think the pandemic slowed it down mm -hmm. and I think it made it more bearable for people that were maybe felt like they were the little the little uh, guinea pig on the wheel. You know, so many things to do, so many, you know, you, you have anxiety because you have so many things to do, but when you step back and you don't have as many things to do and you can selectively do things, then I think it was better for some people. So I, I don't think that's, that was unusual. Well, it is unusual in the sense that uh, what you said is that you, you people still need people. And you yeah, still they need do. Your, your, your circle of friends. Uh, what we're talking about is when you have no circle of friends. Right, right. Um, that's different. And that's what that's that's the that's the enemy. Uh, and when you have no friends at all, uh, identifying your circle of friends and staying with your circle of friends, you're still having people, people needing people. Mm -hmm. uh, but isolation is when you're by yourself and don't have people. Right. Uh, having a select group of people, you still have people. So, and most of the uh, studies and analysis of it uh, support the fact that uh, uh, isolation is not healthy. Right. Yeah, what, what I meant, you know, was a limited isolation, what I meant. Because, uh, for instance, my wife, she doesn't like uh, friends. She's happy with um, being with her kids, her children, or grandchildren and myself. But other than that, very limited uh, contact with uh, outsiders, you know? And, and she that, prefers it that, that way. Yeah, and that's not isolation. Mm -hmm. Because you have a circle of friends. Yes. Right. Uh, Dr. Callender, I looked this up one time. For those people who are not comfortable with a crowd, in a crowd, and so forth mm -hmm. and so on. Um, and they, they, that was called avoidant personality disorder. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. You ready for the next one? All right. But it's, uh, this is, this is, <laughs> this is an article that looks at it from a global perspective. This is a father who who blames China's COVID policy for his son's death. And, uh, what they're talking about, you know, the COVID policies, which we've uh, done away with some time ago. For example, you couldn't go to the hospital to visit your, your loved one. You couldn't get into the hospital. Uh, well, that was when uh, COVID was uh, at its busiest. Now, when things are better, you most places have gotten away from that. And you can have unlimited visiting to a point. Uh, and, but in China, some places, that's not the case. So it's difficult to get to the hospital. And this article talks about all of the uh, 
difficulties they gave in treating his son, who was uh, affected by gas fumes, and eventually died because nobody would take care of him. They wouldn't even let him get to the hospital because they have such strict lockdown because of COVID. And uh, so, so many times it's the uh, taking it so far and not ever uh, relaxing that is the problem. So, as you know, uh, the isolation that we talked about was uh, especially prevalent in the hospital where, where you had difficulty visiting, visiting anybody. And uh, uh, so while the COVID was at its highest, uh, you would have a loved one, they wouldn't even let you come and visit the loved one. So uh, the problem is in China, some of this uh, behavior still exists. And this uh, led to what this father thinks is the cause of his son's death. And uh, uh, so you can say it's it's preventing COVID, but it's it's really lethal to any other issue. Just thought I'd point out that things are different all over the world. Having a global perspective sometimes helps. This is uh, the exact opposite of what we're doing now. Next one, please. Unless there are any comments about it. Now, this is one of the biggest problems that we're having now is uh, pain. And if you ever have pain, like Mr. Tatum had pain, unbearable pain for so long. And uh, one of the things that was happening because of the opioid crisis, getting a doctor to give you pain medicine was a big problem. And uh, almost so that uh, most doctors wouldn't give pain medicine because she wound up uh, being persecuted and prosecuted, especially in people with certain conditions like sickle cell disease and, and cancer and other uh, entities which are associated with pain. And, and, and whether we like it or not, those people with chronic pain problems need to have pain medicine. And this actually got to the point where people who were having pain would go to the doctor, the doctor would give them an aspirin uh, or something and, would, and was reluctant to give them any significant pain medicine. And so uh, as a consequence, the CDC now has come out with a uh, guideline, of updated guidelines of how you can be flexible and prescribe opioids for short, for short-term pain in, in those situations like sickle cell disease and, and other uh, chronic pain conditions. Uh, it's okay to do that. Uh, but I, I, I encountered a number of situations where doctors were afraid to give pain because they would lose the license. But it's important to have the CDC come up with guidelines to allow people to taper off 
medication where it's appropriate and also to recognize those conditions uh, that require you to give patients pain meds because they have chronic pain problems. So I think this, uh, this is a very important contribution. Uh, the question is, will doctors still be too frightened with pain medication for those people who actually need it? Have any of you gone to the doctor for pain medicine and uh, been uh, turned down? No, no. That's good. Yes. <clears throat> I have a pinched nerve in my back and uh, I asked my primary physician for something for pain, something strong. I've been taking Tylenol. I don't like to take medicine, but I've been taking Tylenol. And I asked her for something stronger, but she she wouldn't give it to me. She told yeah. me to continue taking the Tylenol. And, and that's a common phenomenon. And, and uh, I'm hopeful that, uh, that this uh, new guideline will uh, get some of the doctors to be more, more sensitive to the patients who have chronic pain conditions. Dr. Callender, uh, I've come into a situation where the doctor would, in, a, in, a, in other words, instead of prescribing the medicine that you asked for, uh, prescribing something that is a little less strong. Mm -hmm. Yes. I compare two medicines, uh, oxycodone and uh, acetaminophen yeah. with codeine. Well, yeah, yeah, well, you're right. And uh, oxycodone, of course, is uh, one of the drugs they resist giving because it's uh, addicting. And uh, so, so is the uh, Tylenol with codeine, by the way. It's just that oxycodone is more addictive. And because of the opioid crisis, uh, doctors were reluctant to give oxycodone. Uh, and it, it actually uh, affected the way you practice and whether or not you would be cited by the DC Medical Society. And it's all about the opioid overdoses, believing that uh, giving uh, treating chronic pain appropriately might result in uh, you getting an addiction, instead may result. Doctor Calendar, my mother was in, in in excruciating pain for years, and um, the doctors she be, she became. Um, she became depressed because of, of the pain. And uh, I got her in a program at Washington Hospital Center. That's a home program where they came to the house to see her. And they were geriologists and, and they knew about how to treat older people. And she, she got on oxycodone and her, uh, she, had, she was able to stop taking her medication for depression because her outlook changed, her whole attitude changed once her pain was being managed. And we were afraid of, of the medicine because we had heard about it. And the doctor told us, he said, she's 90 years old. 
you know, we're gonna we're gonna treat her pain and we're gonna be cautious with it, but you're gonna see a turnaround in your mother. And and we did. And one thing that happened is every time I would get the medicine, I had to have a physical prescription. I had to go to the doctor to get it. I had to have my pick, I had to uh, show my ID, I had to sign, and they counted the drugs. And <laughs> yeah. if one was missing, I had to call the doctor to tell them that that one was missing. And I found out later on that they actually did a background check on my brother and I to see if we had troubles <laughs> with medications or drugs or addiction. Yes, serious. I'm glad you gave us that. That's a great example of uh, our uh, fear of opioid uh, uh, abuse. Uh, and as a consequence, having those people who have chronic pain conditions who can't be properly medicated. And uh, it's, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Thank you for giving that good example of uh, how chronic pain can result in depression, yeah. Well, anyway, I think this is long overdue and I hope this will make it better. It's nice that the gerontologists uh, were aware of the situation. And uh, I think it's time for Dr. Obisasan to come back again. He was our gerontologist and I'll invite him back to talk to us about uh, some of these issues. Okay, I, I put this in there so we could talk about this because people sometimes are so afraid of addiction that they uh, let patients go in pain without uh, any treatment, which is inhuman. It's inhuman. Uh, but And of course, can you imagine somebody with sickle cell disease, chronic pain, or any condition like uh, Mr. Tatum was in? and uh, not being able to get anything to get for pain. And just as you mentioned, it, in itself, it can cause depression. So, okay, next one, please. Any other comment about this concept? There's so much evidence there's so much evidence that uh, highly processed foods uh, link to early death. Uh, so, so much so that you would uh, uh, look at they talk about hot dog, chips, soda, and ice cream. <laughs> and uh, all of us eat those things. But yet those uh, processed foods that uh, uh, can, when you d do them less than moderation, will result in all kinds of diseases that lead to diabetes, cancer, obesity, and kidney disease. And uh, so uh, there's little question that, as I think uh, uh, Daryl expressed it very well when he mentioned the fact that uh, in the old days, people ate and they lived to old ages, but they didn't have all this processed food. And now that we have the processed foods, the incidence of cancer and all these other conditions are increasing. And so that's why the, the, the effort to have plant-based diets has become important. And, uh, and uh, although you see all of these things that 
that we'd like to get, you have to push back. Uh, of course, uh, those of us who managed to get into the ninth decade uh, uh, sometimes may wonder how we got there. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I got to make a plug for cooking because what processed foods have to do with is convenience. They make it so that you either don't have to cook or if you do cook, it's minimal food preparation. And that's what's killing us. You know, so the most important legacy that we could ever have for our children and grandchildren is that they all cook and cook regularly. Um, you know, even going out to a restaurant, you have to be careful because a lot of their foods are processed just in terms of they're not prepared fresh. They have freezer deliveries. They freeze it. They thaw it out. And it is processed on their standpoint. You just don't realize because you're just seeing it on a plate. But, um, you know, as much as you can limit your eating out and uh, accentuate your cooking at home, then the better off we'll be because that's exactly how the old folks live. Thank you for teaching us so well, Daryl. You're on the ball. <laughs> okay. Well spoken. Uh, so you mean homemade chitlins is better than store-bought chitlins? <laughs> uh, leave it to your sister. <laughs> Carol, you uh, surprised me. I was going to try to make the same point as our, you know, recent ancestors ate stuff like pig's feet, chilling, <laughs> mug, you know, all that kind of stuff. And whereas uh, I think there were some studies going out to see if that was linked to, um, you know, these diseases that we have or whether it was linked to that, you know, like, you know, especially high blood pressure because all that food had a lot of salt in it. So is that a question or a comment? Uh, the question is, does e eating those foods like they did, pig tongue, uh, pig tail, you know, all these things, was that harmful? Well, yeah, it was harmful. You just mentioned all the very worst of the foods that our grandparents ate, you know, there's bad foods, there's good foods. And you just, mm -hmm. I don't know why people go to the very worst, but those were the very worst then and they still are now. Yeah, this, this uh, reminds me, when I was growing up, even up till when I finished high school, I've never, I never saw any re restaurant in my life. I never saw pizza or any cooked, any prepared food. I never saw pizza in my life until I came to the United States in 1972. And uh, my parents, my mother especially, cooks three times a day, in the morning, afternoon, and the evening. And uh, we were all happy about that until we, I moved into the city after my high school. <laughs> then I, I saw a restaurant for, my, for the first time in my life. And uh, I came to know about pizza when I came to America. 
but all in all, you know, those folks, they lived an average life, say, uh, 80 something, eight, mid 80s. My parents died in the mid 80s. And, uh, but nowadays, people are still living, even despite the uh, processed foods we eat now, people are still living up to 80. Yeah, but what happens is that there's a, there's a segment of people who are dying young. Yes, yes that, yes, that we forget about it. Yes, people yes, dying yes. in the thirties, forties, fifties. Yes, yeah. So, and, and that's the group that uh, uh, we're talking about that yeah. has premature. They call them premature deaths. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. It used to be that diabetes was called an old person's disease, and now with processed foods, uh, type two diabetics are in their twenties, thirties, and forties. And that's because of all the added sugars and the and the fructose that they add to processed foods. Um, hypertension is uh, yeah. much more much greater incidence of hypertension because of the added salt in processed foods. Okay, and they they emphasize uh, uh, that uh, uh, fruits and vegetables is the key. Fruits and vegetables. All these other things look good, great, but fruits and vegetables are the key. Of course, they mentioned the fact about the food deserts, deserts. Uh, so that the neighborhood you grew up in may only have McDonald's, Wendy's and those things. And, and those are the harbinger of doom. John, your dad lived to a ripe old age. What did he cook a lot? I My know dad. Yes. Yeah, uh, especially he started really cooking when my mother died. And yeah, he used to cook a lot. But he got in a period of his life where he had bacon every day. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, you know, the bacon with the grease and all that. <laughs> so he counterbalanced that, Betty, with a lot of uh, activity and exercise and right. swimming and those yeah. kind of things, you know, <laughs> walking up the steps of liberty. You know, he was <laughs> the only one that could do it so well for his age and all, you know. That's true. It was just amazing how, and, and Dr. Callender knows that he had a steady diet of a glass of alcohol every day. <laughs> but as we found out that, you know, a, a glass of alcohol every once in a while is okay. It's healthy. Healthy, yeah. Right. Well, I also cooked your father pig feet and pig tails. And he and I would sit down and eat them. <laughs> but I mostly would make them for my aunt and my mother and him. And I would eat very sparingly. But my doctor told me that, that my mother had no restrictions in eating. If she got to be 90 years old, she could eat anything she wanted, whatever <laughs> she wanted. 
and yeah. that was how that was how we did. Okay, all right. And my my father was John's uh was John uh was John's father's brother. Mm. So they were the swimming they were the swimming team. Oh, okay. oh really? That oh. was my Bradford. Bradford. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were quite a team. Yeah, they were. Okay. Let's go to the next one. This is uh, something that, uh, well, you know, this is, uh, this, this goes back to something else that uh, Daryl talked about, uh, which is, you know, when you quit anything, you got to have something to follow up on it, you know, because I have a lot of uh, colleagues who quit medicine, and but they didn't have a backup situation and uh, as a consequence they were unhappy for much of the rest of their lives uh, so that uh, uh, it's okay to, to quit one thing as long as you have a plan to do something else and I thought that Daryl expressed it well when he talked about how he left his his main job and become an, became an entertainer and did something else so uh, and I think uh, uh, if you are going to uh, retire and have nothing to do, it's it's expected that you're going to have a shorter life than if you retired and had another uh, something else to do, whether it's whatever it is. But to sit back and do nothing when you've done something all your life is not healthy. Any comments? Because many of us on this uh, call are at the age of retirement and uh, are doing things, many things, uh, so that uh, uh, retirement doesn't mean dying. It just means you change from one uh, phase of your life to another phase of your life. And, uh, uh, if, if you love helping people, then uh, as long as you're physically able, you should try to continue to do that as long as you're able. Any comments about that? Because uh, we're in an age group that it's easy to to say, uh, okay, I'm 65, time to retire. Retire from what to do what? And that's the, the question. Dr. Callender, I think the worst thing about retirement is having friends and, and friends and family and with their advice, because I like to stay busy but they want me to sit down. They say, you're too busy. You got to slow down and everything. And I'm feeling fine as long as I'm moving around. If you see an elderly person on the bus, they want you to sit down rather than standing. And you know, sitting can harm you more than just um, standing. In fact, standing is better for you. They don't want you to lift a finger. I know when my father-in-law um, became ill and everything, um, the family came around him. Don't go up and down the steps. You're walking too much. Um, <laughs> he had to sneak out the house to walk around the block. <laughs> because they wanted him just to stay still, take it easy, relax. And that's one of our worst enemies is to relax. Don't do any housework. You're working too hard and all of that. That's what keeps you healthy is working. But yeah. they want you to slow down and die. <laughs> Well spoken. Well spoken. Yes. 
Well, I got a comment. Uh, they say, um, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life and uh, do what you love, love what you do. But uh, even more important than that, you have to enjoy your life every day. So a life well lived is one where you could say, yesterday I had a good time. Today so far I'm having a good time, and I plan to have a good time the rest of the day. You know, <laughs> if you really enjoy your life, that's a life well lived. Yeah. Well spoken. Any, any other gems? Yes. <laughs> a, life, a life with purpose. A life with meaning. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I, I took an early out from my government job. I retired at 48. And, wow. I, and after I had 30 years, but I didn't have the age. But as um, soon as I retired, I became a trustee at my church. And that's a whole <laughs> other job. <laughs> so wow. you just keep well, going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I agree. Um, I retired as a teacher. And mm -hmm. I used to say I taught everything from can't use tissue to could use tissue. And so I taught early childhood all the way through college and adults as well. And when I retired, I retired June. And I retired in June because of the fact that that's when teachers go on vacation. So I wanted to be on vacation the rest of my life. So I retired in June, but then I started doing things I love. I've always loved teacher teaching. I've always um, loved working with people. I've always loved sharing information. And before I became a wellness coach, I was already sharing things that my grandfather and my parents taught me. And, and I worked 20 years in wellness, in health and wellness, and then 20 years as a teacher. And so I just combine all my talents together and I now do everything in one thing. I teach nutritional class, I teach wellness, and the list goes on. And I enjoy it, but I enjoy it at my pace. <laughs> wow, this is a very good uh, yeah. uh, library. Dr. Callender, what about a person who retires and like this article here, regrets it? Uh, and not necessarily regret, but decide to go back to it. You know, decides to go back to it. I think that's okay, isn't it? I think it's desirable. I think it's desirable because, you know, life is full of learning from your mistakes. And so he made a mistake in retiring and he want to go back to do it. Good, good friend or her. Yeah. Yeah, but this guy right here in this article, he said, I think he said he's not going to go back to it. Yeah, I know. But I think to each his own. Uh, I think you need to go back to doing something that's going to keep him alive. And uh, I think uh, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Daryl expressed it well, as did uh, the rest of you. That uh, you, you've got to be, uh, there's a reason for living. <laughs> and uh, so uh, you got to, you got to, the worst thing you can do is do nothing, as, uh, as uh, Carol said. So this is Vivian. I like to have an input. 
Um, I retired about 11 years ago. I was a human resource specialist. And when I first started, I didn't know exactly in what area I wanted to work, but I love working with people. And, you know, I would set up training classes. I would go out and I was teaching. I've retired. Since I retired, I'm on dialysis. And what I do now and, you know, what first I started working at Operation Hope. I was going there because I enjoyed helping people, the returning offenders, showing them how to look for jobs, that you don't have to do a complete resume, how to check and so forth. I love the work. And I, it made me feel good when I would have someone come back and say, guess what? I have two kids. I found a job. I love doing it. But my thing is this. Now what I do, uh, I talk to a lot of friends and families and different people I don't even know about, you know, dialysis process. And how I survived it and um, getting a transplant and how it was still a process. And they even asked me to speak at the um, Georgetown Hospital. And I didn't expect that many people to be there. You're telling about transferring from um, dialysis. But now I'm trying, I'm listening to this. It's interesting to me. I was trying to decide what I'm going to do. I'm doing it, but I'm doing it from home. I'm just talking to different people. Anybody have any suggestions for me? Sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. And because I think uh, you're sharing your life with others. Uh, any other thoughts? You, some of some of these people have been on dialysis, and uh, they can uh, give you their uh, opinions from experience. Yes, because I traveled while I was on dialysis. My daughter and I, we were set. I was in Memphis. I went to different places. And I would go, and when they were setting a dialysis up and I was taking apart and looking, it was a great process. They treated me like a superstar. So you can still travel. You can still enjoy your life and take care of yourself. Uh, it's a process. I think a lot of it has to do with the mind and, and so forth. But for me, I would leave and uh, go home, rest a while, go to prayer breakfast, go out with my mom, go out with the family. And I love, I love talking to people. But I was listening to the ladies that are uh, wellness specialists. I'm listening to John as he shared. And I was saying, wow, when is it a way that I can do the same thing with Wonderful. what I have learned? You sound that what a wonderful story that you gave us. Any other comments? Anybody else want to express yes. themselves? Yes. Uh, I retired about uh, six years ago uh, after working for almost 35 years. You know, I taught at Howard, worked at NIH, um, and then taught in the DC public school. And most of the time I was doing these jobs at one time, or the, at least two jobs or three jobs at the same time for almost 35 years. So when I retired, it was time for me to rest. But that resting is not just sitting at home doing nothing. I um, found, you know, my passion was tennis. So, that is Actually, what I love. Tennis, yeah, playing tennis. Really? Yeah, I play tennis almost every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of your students are with me. Some of your students are in my, team, uh, are in my team. Uh, Devonte, you know, he knows you very well. So we are about we are about um, fifty or so in our group. We play every morning. Our team is called uh, Early Morning Tennis Team. We play, <laughs> we play from <laughs> we play, we play from uh, six six thirty to about twelve o'clock or one o'clock in the afternoon. Really? Yes, yes. 
some of the time, uh, sometimes when I I join your I join this uh, group, this yeah. um, therapy group, I joined them from the tennis court. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. You know, retirement. You know, it's not just like um, you are dead. It's you know you find something you know to engage yourself with. Some of my friends who retired, my colleagues, they have nothing to do. They sit at home day in and day out, watching TV, drinking. If you see, they have put in, you know, they have put on um, twice their weight now. So in the tennis court, people wonder why I'm still active, you know, because I'm, I do, I, I love what I'm doing, you know. So to just summarize, you know, Retirement is not a death sentence. It's being able to do what you like, what you enjoy doing. Some people go to uh, go back to work because to make uh, to make more money. You know, that's to me. That's not the primary reason. You know, for retirement, you retire and then you go and look another job for more. You're just chasing the money all the time. It's just relax and do whatever you please. That whatever pleases you. Okay, that's all I have. That's enough. Thank yes. You. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. For sharing. I, I have a I have a couple of comments uh, based on on what Doc just said. Um, yeah, I had a, a coworker right across the hall from me uh, that worked for in the D.C. public schools for ages and ages, and uh, he waited. He said he was going to wait to retire. And sadly, he waited till he was 62 to retire. And by the end of that year, he had passed away. Oh. You know, and, you know, he was trying to save the money, you know, to, to do stuff and he, he couldn't do it. Well, I retired um, when I was 65. So that was like um, uh, 11 years ago, almost. And, uh, well, I... Not not sixty five, but I um, I just turned seventy three on Sunday, and uh, I figured that based on what was going on in in the school system, I was a, a victim of ageism <laughs> because at my salary, you could hire three brand new teachers at my salary. So I was I was so upset with those people. I was glad to get out of there. In fact, I, I didn't uh, retire on time, you know, and I got, they wanted to find me $1,500 because I didn't uh, retire at the correct time of year. I had to uh, write the superintendent to, to get the money back, which, which they did eventually. Um, but, uh, you know, I have been busy, 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 busy. Um, you know, I'm able to now uh, swim and dive. I'm on a dive trip right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it, COVID really kind of messed up all my big plans for, for travel. I, I really want to travel. I want to go to Africa. That, that's on my bucket list. I want to go to Nigeria. Oh, great. See my... <laughs> see my 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 family my original uh, family uh okay 
my my genetic uh, profile says that I've got a lot of Nigerian. Nigerian blood. Okay. Yeah. So I got I, I got I, I have to do that. But that's bucket list. And right now I'm in Curacao, which is um, one of the ABC islands, just north of Venezuela. Okay. And, uh, Fifty miles north of Venezuela, and this this is my second trip here for for scuba diving, and uh, the you know. The, this is one thing that I really wanted to do in my life, which was to to be underwater and, and see the the world. I mean, it's it's a much bigger world <laughs> underwater than we have above <laughs> water on land, and it it is it is fantastic. But I've also seen the effects of global warming up yeah. close, so um, I'm very uh, involved with. Uh, growing coral and uh also uh i don't know if you guys saw the uh the special on uh on netflix called descendants you really need to look at that that's the the last um slave ship that came over after slavery was was banned in the, in the uh, united states mm -hmm. and uh some of my friends helped to to find that ship they they tried to burn it down hmm. in Georgia, and uh, mm, mo no, Mobile, Mobile, that's Alabama, right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but anyway, I've, uh, I, I stay active, like I said, I, I swim three times a week. I used to walk like six and seven miles a day, but I like swimming better. And uh, I play, I play music as well. Not not as good as Daryl, but um, I, I still I still stay very very active. So, you know, re retirement for me is is not ending; it's a beginning. Very good. Okay. Wow. This was uh, this was wonderful. Let's go to the next one because I think, gee, this was a a class. A class. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next one, John. This is a class from the experts. We did this, yeah. Now this is a <laughs> this is an article that uh, may be problematic for many. To the fact is that we do have a shorter lifespan than people who are in developed countries, uh, and this is uh, because of the fact that they point out here. We don't have universal health coverage. We don't have revenue source social services. And we have many administrative barriers. Yeah, so uh, that kind of answers the question, but it goes on to talk about the fact that we spend more on healthcare than any other nation. And yet we don't, uh, we don't get to the top five. We have uh, shorter lifespans and this is one of the few developed countries that spend so much on healthcare, but still don't doesn't live that long. Look at we we have people die younger than those in other medical high income countries, and uh, our life expectancy is seventy eight point eight, which is significantly lower than these countries you see here. They're in the eighties. Not to speak about our maternal mortality rates, which we, which are horrible. 
So that uh, the question is uh, not why, but uh, uh, because we know why, but uh, uh, these are the diseases that are killing us. <clears throat> and one of the circumstances, well, we've mentioned them already, but yeah, I'll repeat them again. And uh, I think that uh, uh, they call it fragmentation of healthcare, although I think most of it is related to the fact that we don't have universal health insurance coverage. The only disease which we have universal coverage is end-stage renal disease. All other diseases, there are many financial barriers. And uh, the community I've, I've learned, of course, is uh, uh, the most efficient health agent that we have, but we don't take advantage of the uh, community base like other countries do. And that's something we need to do. And healthcare does not seem to be the priority. It should be. Now, of course, we have Medicare for those who are over 65, but those under 65, not so. And then uh, quality versus quantity is uh, healthy lifestyles, diet, <laughs> which we've talked about at Norsen. <laughs> and cognitive and physical activity, all of that. Yeah. All those are part, part of it. The one thing that we really ever talk about, even though we talk about healthy lifestyles, is the value of meditation. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we, uh, we, we don't talk much about our spirituality. And our spirituality oftentimes can be uh, the most important part of your, your health because it leads to mental as well as physical health. And we spend too little time on preventive health care. And that's, that's where we fall down. We spend so much time on treating disease that we don't spend enough time on preventing disease. I've got, a, I've got a comment on American lifespan, and that has to do with American food. Uh, American food is the cheapest food in the world. Uh, we spend less percentage of income on food than any other place in the world. And that's primarily because... Um, a lot of our, okay, uh, all of our, just about all conventional meats, unless you're getting organic meats, your, uh, your, your chickens, your, your poultry, your beef, your pork, they're all fed with primarily corn and soy. Corn because they get government price supports and it lowers the price of corn, so it's cheaper to feed your cow corn than it is grass, and grass grows everywhere. Well, that's not their natural diet. It makes, it makes uh, poultry, beef, and pork, it makes them sick. So to get them to market, you got to pump them up with antibiotics to keep them well to get them to market. And then they pump them up in America, not the rest of the world, with growth hormones. And, um, so you've, and the grain that they're feeding them is full of pesticides. So now that's all in, your, in, in, your, in American food, in American meats. 
It's the worst meat in the world, and that impacts your lifespan. And um, uh, and then we're more preservative heavy for our conventional conventional fruits and vegetables in America. So it's cheap, but it's terrible food in America. Uh, you go other places in the world, and the food tastes so much better because we haven't killed our food like we do it in America. Uh, and the second thing, you go around the world, and you see the people are more active. They walk more. They they walk more to get to the grocery, to get to wherever they're, uh, you know, to the cleaners, to the to the bakery. But they're walking. In America, we don't walk. We drive. And uh, so we're the most sedentary people in the world. And, you know, it shows up in our weight. You go around the world, you can always spot the Americans. They're the fat ones. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think those are important points to take into consideration. Yeah. Uh, also, we aren't as patient-centered as we should be because we, our patients should be more responsible for, for the health than, than they are. And I think that's something that we as uh, our professionals should require. Yes. Yes. Uh, according to the last speaker, it's, you know, the points he made is, uh, the points he made, um, he made are very, very, very uh, genuine. Uh, but one thing, uh, these American foods that are produced, you know, in mass quantity, you know, prevents hunger in America than uh, compared to the third world countries who do not have uh, preservatives or uh, hormones to inject their uh, meat, you know. And so American produce food en masse to feed the population and even feed some of some parts of the world, you know. Uh, whilst in the developing or underdeveloped countries, they lack that uh, uh, facility to produce mass quantity of food and preserve those food for their population. Okay, let's go to the next one. That we discussed that almost 1030. Uh, and I think that uh, all of the points are well taken. So that's one thing on this program. We have a diversity of uh, opinions and uh, all of them are, are appropriate. Now this is, I put this in here because the epigenetics, I'm not sure people really know what epigenetics is. And, and even in this article, they don't really explain what it is, but I, I'll tell you what, what uh, makes epigenetics important. Genetics says that uh, the gene pool determines uh, whether you live or die and whether you have all these kinds of diseases. What epigenetics is, is the social factors and external factors that affect uh, the gene. Uh, so, so the social determinants of health. Uh, these are factors that affect the gene pool. And it may affect them in this generation or the next. <clears throat> so that uh, the, your lifestyle and how you live, the social environment affects the gene pool. And that's what epigenetics is all about, to, to point out that uh, uh, we used to say the gene tell the whole story. 
yeah, well, they tell the story, but the, what, uh, for example, when uh, Georgia Dunstan talked about soul genomics, what she's talking about is that there's so many factors that affect the gene and the genes then uh, affect everything else. But the social determinants of health affect the genes uh, today as well as tomorrow. And so uh, uh, it, it's not just uh, what's inside, but it's also what's outside. Uh, so your environment, uh, social as well as external, uh, yeah. uh, actually affect your genes. And, and that was, so when we talk about epigenetics, that's what we're talking about, how those factors that are not inside your body affect you and make you more likely to have uh, diseases like cancer and other things. So, uh, and so uh, this then is something that is often difficult for people to understand. I remember when I was uh, about 30 years ago, somebody uh, made a comment that uh, the social determinants of health affect the gene pool as much as anything else. And most people thought that they were off, off out of their minds. But now we know that they're exactly right. And, that, and that's what epigenetics is all about. The fact that uh, uh, factors that are outside impact the gene, uh, the genes, and, and, and also impact what you uh, spread it to the next generation. Yeah, comment. You know, this, this can be further illustrated uh, by uh, twin studies. This is uh, a uh, question of uh, epigenetics. Um, we see twins, identical twins. After birth, they are separated far away. And you will see their behavior later on in life are totally different, you know? So uh, gene environment interaction, interactions, you know, can greatly affect the gene pool in any community or in any society. That's... Well, it's right up your alley, huh, Dr. Atto? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Atto, uh, did you know that uh, Dr. Callender is an identical twin? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So he became a medical doctor and his brother, twin brother, identical twin brother became a judge. Uh -oh. and, and my my twin brother can't stand the sight of blood. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a surgeon. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> and you don't like the law. Yes. Oh, I can't. I don't know how he got, could stand all those law books. <laughs> That's exactly why I did not become a doctor because I, I, I don't like blood. <laughs> Listen to a man who gets given a hundred units of blood. <laughs> yes. How about that? <laughs> yes. You know what? I might have some of his blood. Yes. You might. Are <laughs> <laughs> you all positive? I don't okay. know. I have to ask Dr. Callender because I don't know. I'll never tell. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, any other questions about epigenetics? Because for many, they didn't really understand. And this article doesn't really help you understand it either. So I thought I'd just take an opportunity to, to let you know about epigenetics because uh, it, 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 everything you do is, impacts the genes. Yeah. Okay, you can go to the next one unless there's any questions about this one. <laughs> if you have high blood pressure, avoid these foods. Well, uh, limit your cheese and choose the right ones. How about that? Uh, uh, some cheeses contain more sodium than seawater. Feta, Halloramy, Roquefort. I don't know what those things are anyway. I guess you have to be a cheese expert to know some of those things. Any of you guys know about all these different cheeses? Nope. Yeah, I, don't know much about these cheeses. I put cheese on everything. <laughs> <laughs> I put cheese on grits. More yeah. soda, more soda equals higher blood pressure. Okay. Yeah. All you need to know that cheese contains hidden hidden sodium. Okay. It you know, cheese uh is preserved a long time. So when <laughs> things are preserved that long. It has a high content of sodium. Mm -hmm. So when you go to a fast food restaurant like Olive Garden, which you shouldn't go to in the first place, don't let them add the extra cheese. Save yeah. the extra cheese for me. Okay. Even that cheese that in that bottle that they squeezed, I mean that they turn cheese period. Everything is good. That's what makes it better. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Hey, I am just just I remember that a, a lot on the I'm sorry. This is Sylvia. I have noticed that a lot on the keto diet. It's cheese, cheese, and more cheese. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure, you know, where we're going with this this cheese issue because I mean, every time you see a, a, a recipe and somebody cooking something on a keto diet, it's a bunch of cheese going on that. Yeah. Plate. Yeah. That is, that is merch, but it is, a, uh, it does have sodium. So. Yeah. Well, you know, not all diets are for us. Um, African Americans are about 80% lactose intolerant. And, um, you know, that's all dairy products. Cheese is a dairy product. Mm -hmm. You know, my my father was lactose intolerant, and I'm not. Neither was my son or my mom. Neither of my sons or my mom are lactose intolerant. Right. You know, there's a range of lac lactose intolerance, all the way from stomach cramps to um, just mild uh, mild gas. But um, you know. Don't think that uh, just because you don't have any major symptoms that you're not lactose intolerant, because if you're black, you probably are. Well, keep going down. It's interesting. They talk about del delicatessen meats. I, I was really surprised at how the benefits of coffee 
That that surprised me. And then uh, there's still studies that show that coffee is caffeine the right benefit. Mm -hmm. Well, on the subject of deli meat, mm -hmm. uh, I saw a documentary that says eating deli meat is like taking uh, pieces of a cigarette, pouring olive oil and uh, frying it. <laughs> okay, let's go on down the line on this one. <laughs> this is the, the one that uh, sugar is worse than salt. Uh, there's been a battle about which is worse. And some people say sugar is worse, some say salt is worse. But nobody says either of them is great. Whether we're sugar, sugar addicts or not, uh, those are two. And they, there's so much data that shows the uh, negative impact of sugar on uh, health. One thing that I've learned that I've encouraged uh, when you pick up something and it says no sugar added, please turn to the back of the label and you will see that there's sugar. <laughs> right, that just, that just means no sugar added, but that right. does not mean that there's not sugar in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the problem, right. Good point, good point. Okay. Anybody love pickles? <laughs> Anybody loves salt? Anybody <laughs> <laughs> loves yeah. sugar? Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah, because these uh, these pickles, especially the sour pickles and the dill pickles, they have so much salt in them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, interesting that. Uh, the role nutrition plays for your health. Okay. I have one, one question about this sugar and the salt. What about uh, this app, the apples we eat? <clears throat> they are filled up with sugar, you know, fruit sugar. Is yeah, that bad? Which is okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The fruits, fruits yeah. do, have, do have sugar. Uh, yeah. When you eat whole fruits, whole fruits, Yes. It's the uh, it's the fruit sugar along with fiber, and yes. fiber regulates uh, the absorption of that uh, of the pro you know I guess process into uh, uh, glucose, but okay. it regulates the absorption and you do fine with it. So yes. you do fine with fruit sugars. And then with the salt, you know, in the <clears throat> long time ago in the villages in Africa, where I lived, uh, where I lived. We preserve fish and meat with salt. Right. And uh, nothing went wrong with us. Yeah, well, that, of course, was the, the way things were preserved. Yeah. Then. Uh, and uh, everything that was preserved was salt. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I guess it may be a function of epigenomics, but they say that African-Americans are more salt sensitive because of the, um, of the transatlantic slave passage that, uh, and that's still in our genes that we're more salt sensitive. So it may affect us as a, as a group in America more than it does Africans. Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's exactly right. 
Okay. Uh, canned tomato products, uh, again, salt is the basis of that. Uh, so. But it's, it's, it's actually almost unavoidable. How you cook red meat matters. <laughs> Dr. Callender, I want to ask you this question again. I know I asked you before, but there is a recommended amount of salt that we're supposed to have in our body. Right. So I think, for example, uh, I think five grams of salt is probably about the upper limit. People on a soft so free diet would be two grams of sodium, but uh, five, above five grams is probably above which you don't want to go with salt. Thank you. Five grams per what? Per day. Yeah. <coughs> five grams per day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting how uh, I think Dow mentioned this before. How, well, they, they talk about sneaking sugar, but they, they don't talk about the, the, the sodium uh, salt that they have in other things like ketchup and all these other sauces. Uh, and they call them sneaky salt sauces. <laughs> you know, if, if you um, remember McDonald's french fries, some of the most delicious fries you, you can get, right? Yeah. yeah. And they used to just dump the salt on it. I oh, yeah. Dump, dump the salt. And now they, they've cut back quite That's a bit on, on the, on the uh, salt that they put on them. But they still taste good. Yeah. Yeah. Hot sauce. Tremendous amount of salt and hot sauce. You may as well be mainlining it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But actually, for, for, for me, French fries are only a vehicle for ketchup. <laughs> Which is low sodium, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to have to find some low sodium. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting to talk about uh, dark chocolate. Okay, Joyce, take care. It's 10.30, so we're getting close to the end. Canned beans. Mm. Mm. Sauerkraut. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 900 milligrams of sodium. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to drink water for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> it's interesting, this BPA, bisphenol A, found in plastics and can linings that uh, affect everything we eat. Donuts just don't, huh? <laughs> uh, Mm. 
What doesn't affect you? <laughs> like Betty say, water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why you should eat white rice? Yeah. Just so long as the water is not contaminated. I'd get ready to say it's according to where it comes from. <laughs> I'm from Michigan. You better watch out. <laughs> Peanut butter, sauce, sugar as well. Mm -hmm. Fried meals. Mm -hmm. Well known. Oh, this is a one. with ramen noodles, are you? Oh, my goodness. I used to love these things. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's almost two grams of salt there. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Just one of those is, I guess, 20% uh, of that 40% of your total amount. Yeah, of that's right. Oh, my goodness. Just one of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing how we've survived this long. Isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. What's the next one? What's next? Uh, let's see. Oh, this was a, a long one here. Yeah, we 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 might be out. Uh, this is the last one. Okay. I think we don't have any more is what I think. Good, okay. Because it's uh, 10.30 already. And uh, we've got a lot of a lot of areas. Uh, oh, the blood pressure medicine one, yeah. This is the article that talks about whether you take your blood pressure in the morning or in the afternoon. Uh, actually, there was data before that said it mattered. This article says that it doesn't matter when you take morning and afternoon. Actually, some people take blood pressure medicine in the morning and afternoon. Uh, but there was a lot of uh, debate over whether it mattered. And this study shows that it didn't matter whether you took your medicine in the morning or, the, or at night. Uh, but for those who take it twice a day, it's irrelevant because you take one in the morning and one at night. What's most important is that you take your blood pressure and you know that your blood pressure is well controlled. So uh, there was a lot of evidence that people were on high blood pressure medicine but were not checking their blood pressure to find out if the blood pressure medicine was actually working. And so everybody should have a blood pressure apparatus that you can check at home to make sure that the, your blood pressure is staying uh, under 130 systolic. My, my doctor just recently uh, put me on a program where I have to take my blood pressure every day because it fluctuates when I go to the office. And in the training for how to use the machine, I ask uh, what time of day or when should I take my pressure? And she asked me about medications that I took. And I told her I didn't, I wasn't on any medication. I just took some supplements, but I was not on any of prescribed medications. And uh, the lady said that it didn't matter what time of day I took my pressure. Right. Uh, I, I would argue 
that if you're going to take it, uh, uh, it's a good idea if you're going to take it, take it twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. Oh, okay. If you if if you are, are really concerned, uh, because the question is in the morning, what is it? What is it at the end of the day? Yes, and uh, some some of the high blood pressure medicine is time release, so you have to know your medicine and you have to talk with your doctor. Right. I'm not on any medication. She's yeah, that's yeah, that's that's what's nice about it. Yeah. He's testing me to see whether she needs to put me on medication. Right. Yeah, that, that's why I think once in the morning, once in the afternoon is the way to do it. Okay. Yeah, white white coat hypertension is something that does exist where you your blood pressure only goes up when you go to the doctor's office. And that's why the pressure that really matters is the pressure that you take at home. Uh, where I think you should take it in the morning and afternoon. That would be my advice. Okay, so this probably is the last one, right? I believe so. I will double check. Well, we need to. <laughs> well, the flu season is here. I hope everybody's, everybody's gotten their flu vaccine as well as their uh, uh, COVID vaccine. We still don't have that uh, RSV virus, I mean, vaccine. So, uh, so when you go to uh, crowded areas, you're probably better off wearing a mask. Although you'll, you'll be uh, everywhere I go now, I'm, I'm almost the Lone Ranger with a mask because nobody wears masks anymore. So, but uh, this is the season. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the last article, Doctor. Okay. Um, Dr. Collins, I found out nobody's wearing masks except for in church. Now all the churches are still wearing them, but I don't see anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, I've noticed that. I have to wear one when I see my doctor at Howard. Oh, yeah. If you go to the, the hospital, you have to wear it. Yeah. A hospital and church. Yeah. I wear mine going to the grocery store, too. I yeah, do, too. You don't see anybody else. I don't care. I'm a lone ranger. I, yeah, I, I'm a lone ranger. But that don't bother me. Me either. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've had a nice time. We had a nice audience. Yeah.